Hey youth leaders, do you ever feel like you need help? Being a youth leader is a challenge and it's hard to know exactly what you need to do. Our sponsor, Lead the Cause, will help your youth ministry take the next step. Lead the Cause is a week-long summer training event hosted by Dare to Share. During this week, your students will learn how to live on mission for Christ, how to share their faith, and you, as a youth leader, will learn how to continually help your students in ministry grow. You don't want to miss this amazing week of God-centered training. Sign up for the Lead the Cause Insider list today to find out about early bird ticket prices and some free trainings at leadthecause.org backslash insider. Or just to learn more about Lead the Cause, go to leadthecause.org. Now here's the show. Hey everyone, this is Jason with Dare to Share Ministries. On the entire team here at Gospelize with Greg Steer, we want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. As you know, we are halfway through Greg's series on how to gospelize your youth ministry. We're looking at value number four out of seven, a disciple multiplication strategy guides it. And so we're excited uh, in this episode for you to hear how Greg's going to break down some key principles out of 2 Timothy. Uh, if you've been encouraged by the podcast, if this has been a blessing to you and your ministry, in the spirit of Christmas and in the spirit of giving, forward this on to your friends. Post on social media how much you love the podcast. Make sure that you rate it and review it on your podcast platform. Make sure you're subscribed so that you don't miss out on any of these episodes. But bless other youth leaders and other church leaders with the Gospelize with Greg Steer podcast. With that, here's my good friend, Greg. How do you build a gospel advancing ministry? We've been doing this series uh, and we've talked about intercessory prayer. We've talked about relational evangelism. We've talked about how leaders need to fully embrace and model it. And now we get to value number four, a disciple multiplication strategy guides it. This is when it gets exciting when you're able to see teenagers that you've reached or that have been reached by teenagers in youth group reach others and it begins to multiply out, kind of like a spiritual outbreak. We're going to be talking about viral evangelism. We're going to talk about disciple multiplication as an outbreak. But before we begin, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit and that you would use this talk to inspire youth leaders to really implement a disciple multiplication strategy that we read throughout the Gospels and throughout the book of Acts, throughout the New Testament. Lord, we want to make disciples who make disciples, disciple cycles, Lord, in Lecrae's words. And I pray, God, that we would <clears throat> listen to what your Spirit says to us through your Word today. So fill us and fuel us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we're going to talk about a disciple multiplication outbreak. And I love that word, outbreak. Except for when it comes to things like a cold outbreak, right? You ever experience a cold outbreak in your house where one of you gets a cold and then the other gets a cold, and your kids get the cold. Matter of fact, right now in our house, uh, my wife has an extremely bad cold. She's stayed home from work for the last two days. And, you know, we're all nervous. I mean, I got some Purell with me up here uh, just to be safe because, you know, you don't want to catch the cold outbreak. A couple of uh, facts about a cold outbreak that's made me more neurotic uh, in studying for this sermon. 200 different viruses that can lead to what we call the common cold. Common cold viruses can survive up to 48 hours outside the body, uh, and they think they can actually survive on your skin or other surfaces for two days. Think elevator buttons, kitchen counters, keyboards, light switches. I'm going to get some more Purell because, again, I'm nervous about getting this cold outbreak. None of us want to get catch a cold, but, man, once one person gets it, it begins to multiply out. 
and and sneezes are a way that those are delivered. I remember one time I was at camp and I was in line getting ice cream in a bowl and one kid, the camp counselor, was digging out ice cream and he had a bad cold which made me nervous and then he literally sneezed into the bucket of ice cream. And I'm like, okay, not the kind of topping I'm excited about. I'll pass on ice cream. Uh, we don't want to get a cold, right? There's also a flu virus outbreak. All of us have probably heard about the Spanish flu of 1918, the great flu epidemic. Killed up to 40 million people. They said if that same kind of outbreak happened today, over twice that would die. Think about that. I mean, it expanded and exploded uh, quickly. And a lot of times when we think about outbreaks, we think of them in a negative sense. I want to flip that today. I want us to think about a spiritual outbreak, a disciple multiplication outbreak. That's exactly what you see when you read the book of Acts. You'll see actually multiple spiritual outbreaks. Acts 2.47, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So people came to Christ, probably through the pre preaching of Peter, and then they told their neighbors, family, and friends, and it became this outbreak. By the time we get to Acts 5, verse 14, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord were added to their number. Another outbreak. Acts, Acts 6, 7, <clears throat> so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now that outbreak is in, invading the religious community. Acts 12, 24, the word of God continued to increase and spread. One translation reads, multiplied. Acts 13, 49, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Outbreak. Acts 19, 20, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So you'll see these outbreak events happen through the book of Acts. <clears throat> Matter of fact, it was so powerful that the gospel went from Jerusalem to Rome in less than 30 years. This is without cell phones, without airplanes, without the apostlepaul.com. All right, it exploded and it expanded. Uh, word of mouth, people telling people that viral message of the gospel. When you see in Acts 19, 8 through 10, you'll see that the the whole province of Asia, all of what we would call modern Turkey, every single person catches the cold, so to speak. They're exposed to the gospel virus. Every Jew and Greek heard the word of the Lord. Uh, these outbreaks, uh, these spiritual outbreaks, is what we would call today disciple multiplication. And that's exactly what we want to see in our youth ministries. We want to see teens reaching teens who reach teens. There's something exciting about that. I remember uh, I was able to uh, lead, when I was a pastor, our youth leader to Christ. And we discipled him and trained him. We forgot to baptize him, which is kind of a big mess. And so one day I said, hey, let's, we need to get you baptized, man. And uh, his name was Dave. And he's like, well, I got a couple teens uh, that need baptized as well. And I said, well, why don't I baptize you since, since I led you to Christ? And you can baptize those teens. He goes, well, I led one of those teens to Christ. And the, one of those teens led this other kid getting baptized to Christ. And I go, dude, I'll baptize you. You baptize the kid you led to Christ. He'll baptize the teen he led to Christ. And I don't know, we probably broke some baptismal rules or whatever, but four generations, boom, 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 boom. Man, what if that was normative in our youth ministries? What if that kind of multiplication began to define the way we did youth ministry? <clears throat> There's a, 2002, I wrote a book called Outbreak. And that outbreak uh, was inspired by a movie called Outbreak that I'll talk about in a little bit. 
uh, a book called The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell, and another book called Unleashing Your Idea Virus uh, by Seth Godin. But more than anything else, it was inspired by the book of Acts and that spiritual outbreak that we see throughout the book of Acts that we want to see happen in our youth ministries. But these, uh, you know, these outbreaks are not just reserved for the Bible. They're, we also see them throughout church history. In the book, The Tipping Point, Malcolm Gladwell writes, the Methodist movement became epidemic in England and North America, tipping from 20,000 to 90,000 followers in the U.S. in the space of five or six years in the 1780s. Methodism's founder, John Wesley, realized that if you want to bring a fundamental change in people's belief and behavior, a change that would persist and serve as an example to others, you needed to create a community around them where those new beliefs could be practiced and expressed and nurtured. That was the Methodists early on. I mean, they had bands and societies, and they became like these cultivating centers for this viral outbreak. And they had these circuit riders that would go from city to city to city, kind of sneezing on people, spreading that message of the gospel, and then organizing them. That's what we want to see. We want to see revival. We want to see transformation. We've seen it throughout church history, and we want to see it in our own youth ministry. So how do we do that? We're going to go back to a scripture, our ultimate youth ministry manual, right? Uh, and we're going to look at Paul's words to Timothy. These are some of Paul's final words to Timothy. He's on death row. He's about to be beheaded uh, by Nero. So he's given Timothy, okay, here's the deal. Here's what I want you to do, right? I want this disciple multiplication strategy to guide the rest of your life. So he writes in 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 3, You then, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering. Just think about this passage rewritten with this idea of an outbreak. You then, my sons and daughters, be fully infected by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the holy virus I sneezed on you in front of a bunch of other infected believers sneeze on others who will be qualified to sneeze on even more people. I mean, you think about this as an outbreak. Think of this as multiplication, disciple multiplication. Again, value number four, disciple multiplication strategy guides it. So we're going to see three key anchors in this passage that are going to help us live out that disciple multiplication strategy. Number one, we see this in 2 Timothy 2, get fully infected by grace. Get fully infected by grace. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Are you strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Have you been fully infected by grace? Now, I refer to the movie Outbreak. It's actually an old movie, 1995, uh, starring Dustin Hoffman and Rene Russo. And it's a story about this monkey that's infected with the this, I think, some kind of Ebola virus. And this monkey kind of scratches a dude or bites a guy. And that guy gets infected. He begins to sneeze on others. And it begins to multiply out. You need a carrier, right, to bring that in. And that monkey was infected. And then soon, those other people that got infected by that monkey to begin to multiply out. Here's the deal you got to be the monkey. Matter of fact, years ago, we did a, a uh, Dare to Share youth leader training called Be the Monkey. And it was all about you are the carrier. You have to be fully infected by grace if you want your students to be fully infected by grace. And that grace message is 
viral. So what does it mean to be fully infected by grace? Number one, it means we got to live out of grace. we got to live out grace in our lives. Here's how Spurgeon described 2 Timothy 2.2. This is an exhortation to every one of us, not only to have grace, but to be strong in it. There are many professing Christians who are content so long as they are just saved. We're not content with being barely alive spiritually. We do not wish to have our life shivering with cold, but we seek after comfort as well as existence. We seek to be in health as well as to be in life. So should it be with the Christian. He should pray, Lord, make me strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Are you living strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus? And what does this mean? This means... Not to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I'm going to do more for Jesus. I got that list and I'm checking off that list. And as long as I check off that list, I'm strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We've all seen this at camp. Our kids go to camp. They get excited. You know, Friday night we have the fire or whatever. And kids are sharing their decisions. I'm never going to sin again. I'm never going to lust again. I'm never going to have pride again. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to serve the Lord with all my heart. And tears are shed and everybody's hugging. And it's awesome. But 15 minutes after the time they get home and drop off their laundry, they get in laundry, they get in an argument with mom and dad. They're back in the flesh, back in their old habits. And we kind of do the same thing, man. We, we can tend to live on those mountain high experiences. And we got to get to church to get pumped back up. But being strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus is not an emotional high. It is living in a daily declaration of utter dependence on the Spirit of God. I love what uh, Major Ian Thomas, the founder of Torchbearers, used to say. The key to living the Christian life is Christ. It's not trying to get all hepped up. It's not trying to keep the list. It is Jesus. When we look to ourselves will continue to fail and flail like a broken branch of an apple tree trying to produce apples in and of itself. It will not, right? And we cannot produce the life of Christ in and of ourselves. We need to be plugged in to Him. How do we know this? I, I know this personally because I was raised in a church that really said, man, you're saved by grace, but you're sanctified by the list. And I used to look at that list, and I was like, okay, well, I got to read my Bible every day, and I had my timer out to read my Bible every day. I got to pray every day, so I just checked that off, and I have to memorize verses of Scripture. I memorize entire books of the Bible. I have to share my faith. By the time I graduated from high school, I estimate conservatively, I personally shared the gospel with 5,000 people. And yes, sadly, I counted. I mean, it was because I was keeping the list. I wanted to make sure I kept the list. They said, do good at your studies. I went to their little Christian school. I graduated with 4.0. They said, uh, be good at preaching. Man, I, I one stayed in preaching. I tried, I did everything that I possibly knew how to do, except for I was not strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I was strong in the list, trying to please God, instead of strong in my faith and trusting in Him to live His life through me. And I remember my freshman year of college, I had a breakdown. And I realized I can't do this. I can't. But it was almost as though when I realized that I couldn't, that I could hear the whisper of Christ. Say, yeah, but I can, through you. And that's when I began to learn what it meant to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, the Lord. Not pulling myself by my own bootstraps, but saying, God, every day I need you. I fall short. The good I want to do, I don't do. The evil that I hate, I keep on doing. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to you. Christ Jesus, our Lord, he is our victory. So we look to him in a daily declaration of dependence on him. We're strong in the grace 
that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So be strong in that grace. Because if you want a viral movement, it's got to start with you. You got to be that monkey. You got to be that carrier of the message. You got to live out grace, and then you got to give out grace. What do I mean by that? I mean sharing that message of grace. I love Galatians 2.21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Do not set aside the grace of God. In other words, when you share the gospel, and I hope you do it every single week with your students, and I hope you do it consistently in your own life with the people around you. When you share that gospel, share the gospel of grace. That simple message that we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. You know, and you know, if you've listened to this podcast, you hear the gospel, but I'm just going to remind you again, because I don't think we can overhear the gospel. It's not the light stuff. It's the deep end of the pool. God, he, he loves us. He created us to be with him. But our sins, they separate us from God, and sins can never be removed by good deeds. So 2,000 years ago, God sent his son who lived the perfect life we could never live, died the horrible death that we deserved and paying the price for sin, Jesus died. He paid the price for our sin. He died in our place for our sin. He rose again. Everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And that life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. So if you've never put your faith in Christ, I challenge you, believe. Trust in him. Receive that gift of everlasting life. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Live it out. Give it out. And sometimes when you give that message out, people will say, well, that's, that's too easy. You know, you, you, have to, you have to try harder. I remember once when I was a pastor, I had a guy who left our church. He was part of a band, and they were going to start their own church. He was a heavy metal band, and they were starting a church called The Asylum, which it just sounds cool, right? Hey, you want to go, go to Grace Church and start your own church called The Asylum? Yes. And so he left, and I could tell he was frustrated with some stuff uh, with me, so he set up a meeting with me. And I went out to the parking lot to meet him. I said, Larry, how's it going? He goes, that's all right. We need to talk about some things. I go, hey, how's Greg? Greg was a fellow band member. He's like, I don't don't know. I don't talk to Greg anymore. I've refused to forgive him because he hurt me deeply. I'm like, whoa. I I said, I don't know what he's done to you, but whatever he's done to you is not as bad as what you and I have done to Jesus with our sin. So you need need to forgive me because I will never forgive him. I'm like, oh, well, okay, well. Let's talk about what we're going to talk about. And so he sits me down and he says, I want to talk to you about your grace message. You preach easy believism. He said, I want to tell you this. If you're not willing to commit yourself fully to the Lord Jesus Christ in every area of your life, pick up your cross and follow after him, you're not saved. It's not by this grace message. It's by serving Christ with all your heart. And if you're not willing to do that, you are not saved. I go, well, Larry, I guess you're going straight to hell then. He goes, what do you mean? I go, you told me on the way in you refused to forgive Greg. And if you refuse to forgive him, then obviously you're not saved. He goes, shut up, man. It's ticking me off. I go, your outburst of anger is proving to me you're full of the flesh. And he stood up and he goes, I want to kick your... And I go, hey, once again, going straight to hell. And I, I go, calm down, Larry. Sit down. Dude, I'm just telling you, you cannot live in this house of cards that you've built. And you're a believer in Christ. How can you expect an unbeliever to, to come to Christ that way. And I talked to him about that message of the gospel of grace. He rejected it. But I want to tell you this. Don't reject that gospel of grace. Be fully infected by it. It's if, it. if it doesn't sound too good to be true, then it's not the gospel of grace. But once you get that message, it becomes viral. 
Once you realize, man, it is just by faith in what Jesus has done for me, you want to run, pick up your cross, and follow after him. Not as a requirement for salvation, but in response to that free gift of God's grace. So make sure the message we're preaching to our students is clearly grace and grace alone. Be fully infected by grace. Are you fully infected by grace? Secondly, if you want to start this viral movement, you've got to sneeze on the right people. I know that sounds gross, but sneeze on the right people. And I'm talking about uh, a spiritual sneeze with spiritual boogers. No, I'm just joking. Uh, here's how Paul put it in 2 Timothy 2.2. The things you've heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people. In other words, the gospel, I sneezed on you. Uh, they're going to sneeze on others who can sneeze on even more people. So here's what you got to remember. you got to find the right people to invest in if you want this disciple multiplication outbreak. Uh, remember this principle. The ready and willing can be made able. The ready and willing can be made able. I love what Paul says. He says, entrust to reliable people. The ready and willing. So many times we're looking for, for those who are the highly qualified. But sometimes the highly qualified aren't humble. They're not reliable. They're not ready and willing and ready to grow and go. And again, this is one of the things I love about this passage. The people you look to invest in, to disciple, they don't have to be flashy or great spiritual gifts. They just need to be reliable people. There's a, a great little book called Dedication and Leadership written by Douglas Hyde. And it actually uh, was a, a series of lectures done at Notre, Notre Dame in 1965. Douglas Hyde was a former communist turned Catholic. And he's lecturing at Notre Dame in 1965 saying, listen, if we apply the same principles of discipleship that communists do in Catholicism, we would see the world as a communist world. And so he tells a story about how you need to look for people that are ready and willing and then make them able. I'm just going to read a bit of this story with you. To you. Early in the last war, I was conducting a leadership training course for a group of communists in, London, in a London borough. I ended my last lecture in the series by saying that the Communist Party would take anyone who was willing to be trained in leadership and turn him into a leader. I stepped down from the rostrum and there awaiting me was Jim, a relatively new member to the party. He was almost pathetically anxious to be turned into a leader. He took me up on the words which I had concluded the lecture with, and as I looked at him, I thought that I had never seen anyone who looked less like a leader in my life. He was just about the mo most unprepossessing man I had ever seen. He was short, grotesquely f uh, fat, with a flabby white face, a cast in one eye, and to make matters worse, a most distressing stutter. I'm not making fun of him. It's very germane to my story when I say that quite literally he came to me and said, Comrade, I will want you to take me and turn me into a leader of men. I looked at Jim and I wondered how I was going to be able to do it. Then I thought to myself, well, I told the class that we could take anyone who was willing to be trained in leadership and turn him into a leader. And here is Jim, pathetically anxious for me to do it. This is a challenge. So I set about the job. It will be observed that I had made only one qualification. That was that the would-be leader must be willing to be trained. This prepossesses a certain attitude of mind which Jim already had. It was, as far as I could see at that moment, almost the only thing I had to build on. And he goes on to tell the story how Jim became a tremendous leader in the communist movement because he was willing. So as you look for those to disciple, 
as you look for those students or those adult leaders that you want to get fully infected and to multiply out, look for those who are willing. I think of Chris Selby. Uh, Chris was a youth leader in Arkansas, very frustrated with the state of his youth ministry, kind of got a hold of these outbreak principles, these gospelized values, transformed the way he did youth ministry, began to train other youth leaders. And now Chris, man, is zigzagging across the nation, training and equipping and multiplying. And if you met Chris, you'd be a normal youth leader, right? He's just, uh, he's Arkansas crazy, but super willing. And God is using him in powerful ways to make and multiply disciples for the number one reason that he was ready and willing to be made able. Look for those who are ready and willing, not just adults, but students, to be made able. Once in a while, you'll, you'll encounter what I like to call super sneezers. Su super sneezers can take it to the next level. If you look in Acts 18, 24 through 27, you'll see that Apollos was a super sneezer. He took it to the next level, spread the gospel everywhere. Reminds me of the story of William Dawes, uh, which you probably never heard of, and Paul Revere. This is an illustration in the book, The Tipping Point. All of us have heard of Paul Revere, right? He's the one, uh, when the British were invading, he rode his horse uh, throughout the Northeast, you know, screaming, the, the British are coming, the British are coming, the British are coming, and everybody galvanized for war. What a lot of people don't know is William Dawes uh, rode in a different direction that night and yelled the same message on a different horse, the British are coming, the British are coming, the British are coming, and nobody listened to William Dawes, right? Because they didn't know who he was. Paul Revere, man, he was, he was at the local bars. He was a well-known business person. He was very engaged socially. And so he was kind of what we would call a super sneezer. And every once in a while, you'll have an adult or a student like an Apollos or a Paul Revere who can really multiply that out at a rapid rate. I think of a guy named Chris Stout. Chris is uh, the executive vice president of Word of Life. Uh, he read my gospelized book. He read these seven values. He was like, you know what? This ministry that's been around for 77 years that I'm helping to lead, he's like, I think this book encapsulates more of our heart than some of our current stuff. So he said, man, I'm in. I'm, I'm, I'm being fully infected by grace. And he became a super sneezer. He had me come in and train all 30 of their uh, Word of Life national uh, missionaries, and then 70 country leaders that following week uh, that were taking this and multiplying out. A lot of super sneezers in that room, and it felt like almost overnight, uh, Dare to Share and these values were able to, this philosophy anyway, was able to get into 70 plus countries because of one super sneezer, Chris Stout, who took this message and said, let's multiply this out. So when you can find that student or that leader, adult leader that can become a super sneezer, that is phenomenal. So are you sneezing on the right people? So uh, finally, the third point for this viral outbreak is wait for it. Wait for it. When you're infected by the gospel of grace, you sneeze on the right people, you're waiting on the Lord in prayer, it's only a matter of time before the outbreak begins. And it's hard sometimes for us to wait. But we see Paul writing, the things you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others also. Join with me in suffering. We read this like it all happened simultaneously, but remember Paul uh, and Timothy have been traveling together for almost 20 years. So this is a long investment that Paul made into Timothy's life. And Timothy lived for another 30 years or so after this, according to church tradition. So the 
the unfolding of this is almost over the course of 50 years. So we may get frustrated because we want it now, but disciple multiplication takes time. But when it hits, it can multiply quickly. We want to see this outbreak of multiplying disciples who will also be qualified to teach others. We want to see this multiply uh, in our youth ministries. And one of the things we got to realize is that the early church, it grew uh, not because of gimmicks and games, right? But because of this disciple multiplication philosophy that others caught and began to multiply out. I wish I could dive deeper into this now, but we have a ministry partner that we kind of refer to uh, when it comes to disciple multiplication. It's a group called Sun Life. And they have a whole book and a whole training series and philosophy called Four Chair Discipling. How do you take somebody from unbeliever to believer, from believer to worker, from worker to disciple maker or multiplier in the way that Jesus did? They use Jesus as the ultimate example of disciple multiplication, which it's hard to argue with because he's Jesus. Uh, and so I really encourage you to check out the book. Go to fourchairdiscipling.com and find out what that could look like in the context of your youth ministry. So an outbreak of multiplying disciples, and finally an outbreak of suffering disciples. It's interesting to me that Paul ends this passage with an invitation to suffering. Join with, join with me in suffering. In other words, Timothy, if you go down this path of disciple multiplication, you're also going down the pathway of suffering because you're going to tick somebody off, right? You're going to take off the religious leaders. You're going to take off those who just want it to be the status quo. Those who are meeting-driven, not mission-driven. And more than anything, you're going to take off Satan, and he's going to do everything he can to deceive, discourage, distract, and destroy you. So join with me in suffering. Bring it on. Disciple multiplication strategy, yes, and an outbreak of suffering disciples. That's what we want to uh, be ready for. And I remember um, when I was a youth leader at a little Baptist church, uh, we saw this disciple multiplication strategy uh, begin to multiply out. <clears throat> and it was so overtaking the youth ministry that I think it was really convicting the adults in the church in a good way. So I went to the pastor at the time, and I'd written this 11-page paper called Operation Arvada. And it was all about how do we take the same disciple multiplication strategy that was thriving in the youth ministry, and the youth ministry was growing and messy and exciting, and tons of people coming to Christ, growing to Christ, teenagers reaching, teenagers reaching, teenagers. Again, it wasn't all of a sudden, took time, but when it hit, it hit. So I put this Operation Arvada, that's the city uh, the church was in, I brought it to the lead pastor, and I said, listen, the same thing that's been transforming the youth ministry can transform our adults. Would you uh, think about this and consider it? And he looked at it, and I gave him the basic overview, and he goes, I'll pray about it. Which, generally speaking, is a pastor's way of saying, there's no way I will ever do this. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to buy some time. And he bought some time. And he, did, he could tell he did not want to implement this strategy in the context of his church. Um, and it, I was running up against friction and frustration because of that. And oftentimes, when you have this disciple multiplication strategy, you have to prepare to suffer because you're disrupting the status quo. But disrupting the status quo is where transformation begins. Steve Addison wrote an amazing little book called Movements That Change the World. And in it, he tells us the story of St. Patrick. Now, we've all heard of St. Patrick. We all know about St. Patrick's Day. And in our minds, sadly, 
it has to do with uh, green clover leaves and green beer. Um, not that we drink it, but that we see people drinking it. Um, and we see these celebrations, and I'm sure St. Patrick himself would cringe if he knew what went on in his name. But the real St. Patrick was a man of God. Real St. Patrick, listen to this story. 16 years old, when Irish raiders stormed his village in Roman Britain and took him as a slave in 405 AD. So they take him as a slave. For six years, he's a slave in Ireland. And he's tending sheep and he's doing all this dirty work. And during that six years, his heart broke for the Irish people because they were Celtic and worshipped gods and goddesses and, and, and nature and all this stuff. They were so deceived. He began to pray for them day and night. He would get up early, go out into the cold and just pray for them. He'd sometimes pray all night. He'd go out into the forest and pray for them. He'd intercede on behalf of the Irish people. And during that time, he got fully infected by grace fully infected by grace, and he wanted that same message to transform them. Eventually, he escaped. He took a 200-mile walk through dangerous territory. He escaped. He came back home, but once back home, uh, he could hear the cry of the Irish people, come and walk with us again, and he knew he was called to be a missionary, right, to go sneeze, right, on the Irish people, and that's what he did, uneducated, but he preached with passion, city to city, baptized new converts, established leaders, called them to join his ragtag missionary band, and that's exactly what he began to do. He began to sneeze on the right people, and young men all over, not just Ireland, but eventually Europe, began to respond to Patrick's call, and they began to set up these monasteries, which also were training centers and multiplication centers, and it irked the religious leaders at the time. They did not want him to do what he did. He joined with, with Paul and Timothy and a long line of martyrs in suffering. And that gospel, though, would not be stopped. Matter of fact, that outbreak took place for another 500 years after that. St. Patrick was kind of in that sense, he was choosing to be the monkey, right? And he infected others. He sneezed on the right people, fully infected by the gospel of grace, and then he, was, he waited for it, and God brought it. And God brought, allowed that suffering to happen as well to keep him utterly dependent on Christ every step of the way. I want to challenge you as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a leader of youth, will you, will you be fully infected by that gospel of grace? And will you sneeze on the right people? Will you begin that disciple multiplication? Will you look for the ready and willing who, are, who can be made able to multiply it out. And man, keep your eyes open for the super sneezers along the way and just wait for it. Wait to see what God will do. He will launch that disciple multiplication strategy and you will suffer in the process and that will keep you utterly dependent on Christ. Value number four, a disciple multiplication strategy guides it. Hey everyone, thanks for sticking around for takeaways, tips, and tools. My name is Jason, and this is my good friend, Carrie. And we are going to break down a little bit of what Greg just shared out of 2 Timothy 2 and this idea of a disciple multiplication strategy guides it um, as we're halfway through this seven value series of how to build a gospel advancing ministry. Um, loved the concept and content today about disciple multiplication. Not sure how I feel about talking about snot and sneezing <laughs> yeah, and cold flus right? the whole time. I may have. <laughs> Gross. I may be ready to vomit if we're being honest, and that probably didn't help people with weak stomachs who are still listening and watching. But it's a great what do you do? Illustration, but sneezing on folks. You know, yes. um, 
<laughs> you know, here's it, here was the big takeaway for me today, Carrie, as as we were listening to Greg and. Uh, you know, he talked about sneezing on the right people, and that's great. You, yeah. you need to mobilize and equip your kids to be disciple makers. I think what we struggle with sometimes as youth leaders, I know I struggled with as a youth leader, is if you're sneezing on the right kids, what is inferred or implied is that you're not necessarily sneezing on all your kids. Yeah. And that's a real struggle because as a youth pastor, you love every kid in the room. And oftentimes our default is to spend more time and pour more time and energy into the kid who's not getting it, yeah, who's on absolutely. the fringe. And when we do that, we rob ourselves of the opportunity for the kids that are there that are hungry and excited and could be those multipliers with yeah. us. And so that's a real tension I think we all need to for process sure. through as we're spending our time and energy with our students. The reality is to see this multiply out, to see a movement kicked off in our youth ministries, on campuses, in communities, we have to be more intentional about spending time with the kids that are going to become those, as Greg said, super sneezers, that are yeah. going to become those multipliers. So Yeah, absolutely. And they're they're not always the ones that you think at first, right? right. Like It's not always like the, the super popular kids. Like I love the story that he told because it's, it's so true. I know I've experienced that too, where sometimes you have to really pray and think deeply about, you know, who it is that really is that kid yeah. who's going to be their student leader, you know? And sometimes it's just a kid who's really passionate and really, yeah. you know, willing and able, like he talked about. And that's so important to take that time because definitely the tendency is to like you said like pour into those kids who are maybe struggling a little bit more or to just kind of pick your leaders based on kind of their influence or their popularity or whatever like that and, you know so just sometimes sure it's the awkward time. kid that runs with it yeah, because they're looking absolutely. for an outlet they yeah. don't have it like an athlete does or whatever and so sometimes it is that kid that yeah becomes your disciple multiplier that you wouldn't have thought. So I totally, I totally love that part. I also loved when he was talking about being able to just wait for it. You know, mm. movements take time, he I said. I didn't like that part. And I know, right? Like, we don't naturally like to wait. <laughs> not patient. No, just me not. either. I struggle <laughs> with that as well. And it's like, we want to see this, you know, revival instantly and, you know, just see God do this massive work. You know, it's just so for powerful. Sure. And so we, of course, want that, which is great. But we also have to learn to be patient and kind of, be able to wait for it. You know, another um, tip that, that I wanted to share with youth leaders is that this idea of discipleship can be super powerful if you really leverage your students who have been around a while, who maybe are a little farther on the journey spiritually than some of the other students and have this peer-to-peer -peer discipleship. In fact, we set up cool. a time within our youth group where we would actually have them within like a 10 minute block, you know, it's kind of a dedicated time each week, would have some time for them to just pour into one another. Mm. Um, they would talk about who they were trying to reach with the gospel. They would talk about um, what were the roadblocks to that, how they could pray for one another, and it's just a little bit of a, a devotional yeah. during that time as well. And it was really powerful. So to like see junior how God seniors used pouring that. into middle schoolers yeah, and freshmen absolutely. sophomores, kind of that older to younger. Yeah, that's and it, so it cool. It worked really well. Yeah, yeah. It and super it's good. that's a great reminder for us as youth leaders that we have to program the things that we want to be important. We can't mm -hmm. just teach on it and think that our kids are going to get it. We have to give the opportunity within the environment to actually for them to begin to live yep. that out and put them in. I love that you were intentional enough to program that time. Uh, I think another great tip, and Greg talked about it with Four Chair, at Dare to Share, we rely on partners like Sun Life yeah. and their Four Chair discipling model because disciple multiplication really is their calling and their passion. Absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, a great thing that you can do is just begin to introduce that concept to your students. You can teach lessons on Four Chair Discipling. You can go to their website. Greg mentioned it, but fourchairdiscipling.com. Get those resources, get yeah. the book, but begin to introduce that concept to your students so they understand that they're on a spiritual journey. They should be growing forward, but as they do that, they should also begin to multiply 
other students. So Four Chair yeah, Discipling is, for sure. is just a great thing. Uh, we so love good. it so much that we use it and infuse it at Lead the Cause. Yeah, our summer good. training event, it influences our program. We train students in it. Oh, they actually really? take an inventory and assessment on where they're at within the Four Chair. So uh, we believe in it. It's powerful stuff. You guys should check it out, fourchairdiscipling.com. Yeah, it's right here. So this is what it looks like. Check it out. We definitely would encourage you to, to get this book um, on Sun Life's website. I think it's on Amazon as well. It's super effective. And students, once they hear about it, if you, you know, teach them how to use it, um, what it's all about. They're pretty good about, you know, having conversation with you about what chair they're in and helps them want to grow to that next chair, yeah. which is which is really cool. Another great book Greg mentioned, we're going a little bit old school here. If you've been around with Dare to Share for a while, this book, Out Outbreak, it's awesome. Be the monkey, Hashtag right? Hashtag be the monkey. Be the monkey. Be the monkey. So fun. Be a sneezer. Yes, be for sure. And it was, it was like, honestly, like the first Dare to Share book I ever read. Super instrumental in helping me craft what I wanted to do as a youth leader. And so I'm still, you know, still very relevant today. So hope you, you check go. out that book as well. So yeah, we want all yeah. you guys to check out the Dare to Share store. Both books are available there, but we're going to do something a little fun this month. The first four youth leaders that email us at podcast at dare to share.org, since it's the four chair book, the first four youth leaders that email us, uh, we'll send you both books on us. Hey, we'll cover shipping. What a deal. Uh, both books are yours. So email us at podcast at dare to share.org. Guys, thanks so much for hanging around and listening to Takeaways, Tips and Tools, the entire podcast. We're excited for this series we're in on behalf of Greg, the whole team here, Carrie and myself. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Until every teen everywhere, here's the gospel from a friend.